morning. We are in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, we're going to be looking at this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, please grab one of those blue Bibles, that's what they're there for. Underneath the seats around you, you can flip it open to page 941. That'll bring you to the text this morning. This section of Romans that we are entering into is thought by many to be one of the most important sections in Romans, if not the entire Bible. One Bible commentator said that if he could only have six verses in the entire Bible, just six, and all the other ones were taken away, he would choose these six. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And he adds to that, he said, all of God's gospel is there. In a way, it is found nowhere else in the Word of God, in this section that we're about to look at. Beloved, I believe the reason someone would choose this section of verses that do a really good job of describing the gospel, I believe the reason they would choose that over all the other verses of the Bible is because the gospel that has been mentioned several times here this morning is an amazing treasure. It's an amazing treasure to those who understand the gospel and who have embraced it. But sadly, too many people have an inadequate or a poor understanding of the gospel, a weak understanding of the gospel. See, the gospel, beloved, is more than just Jesus died for my sins. It is more than that. It is a lot more than that. It obviously includes that great truth. But it is greater and deeper than that reality. And when you understand the gospel in all of its fullness, it has the ability to have a powerful impact on your life. The gospel, beloved, rightly understood and believed, will light your soul on fire. And it will give you the fuel you need, the motivation you need to live for the Lord Jesus Christ with joy. And in a more consistent manner. Uh, Many of the problems that Christians have, I believe this to be the case in their lives with trying to find the the motivation to read their Bible or trying to find the motivation to even attend church or, or to pursue Christian things. I think a lot of it has to do with their lack of understanding of the gospel. Or they understand it, but they're not reminding themselves of the truths of it. The gospel is the power of God. And it works its power when we know it well and we remind ourselves of its rich, deep truths. So it is critical then for us, beloved, to really understand the gospel. Not only so that we can preach it to others so that they might be saved, but so that we can, and this was mentioned earlier, preach it to ourselves so that we can be empowered to actually live out this Christian life in a way that honors the Lord. And in a way that will be best for us. For the purposes of teaching through this this great section, and it's it's a unit, it's 21 through 26, I'm going to go ahead and break it up into two parts. The first part is going to be 21 through 24. The second part is going to be verses 25 through 26. But I want you to think about it as one unit in the Word of God. 
Okay? Six powerful verses that contain the wealth of the gospel in them. Okay? Now, before we get into it, I want to take you back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 for just a moment. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. You can flip to the left if you're in Romans. And here's that text. Let me remind you of it. Paul writes there, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When we looked at this passage back in April, that's when we were in that passage, back in April of this year, I briefly explained my understanding of the meaning of the phrase, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God that Paul says in that text is revealed in the gospel. Now, this morning, I want to do that again. I want to quickly explain that to you again, and I need to in preparation for what we're about to look at in chapter 3, verse 21. So what is the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel? It is the righteousness that comes from God. You could understand it that way. In fact, that's how the New International Version translates that passage in its translation of God's Word. It comes from God. It's of God. It comes from God. It is a righteousness that is fully acceptable to God. It is a righteousness that is freely imputed you may not know that word, typically use that word, or credited, would be another way to understand it, or attributed to any sinner who believes in or has faith in the gospel. That is, the gospel being the message concerning Jesus Christ. To say it another way, it's important for you to get this. Otherwise, you're going to miss the wealth that is found in the gospel. To say it another way, the unrighteous person, the sinner, that's everybody, right? The sinner who puts their trust in the gospel, who puts their trust in the person and redemptive work, that's his work that he did to redeem sinners, whoever puts their faith or trust in that person and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, that person is justified or legally declared by God to be righteous or right before Him. The believing sinner then is given a new status by God. It is a righteous status. And this is the status that they need in order to be right with God. But a status they cannot obtain on their own or through their own efforts. Martin Luther defined the, and Martin Luther is the great reformer, and if you don't know who he is, I would encourage you to research that name, Martin Luther. I mean, we're here today in part because of Martin Luther. This is what caused the division between Catholicism and what became known as just the Protestant movement. And if it were not for Martin Luther, and obviously if it were not for God, but God used Martin Luther in a special way to really call the church back to the true gospel because it had become distorted within the confines of the, the Catholic Church at that time. It became distorted. So he called the church back to the gospel. And as a result, the Catholic Church booted him out. And what came about of that is the Protestant movement, Christian denominations of every sort, and Christian churches. This is what Martin Luther said. He defined the righteousness of God as a, quote, righteousness valid before God. In other words, one that he will accept. 
one that he says, yep, that's the righteousness I'm looking for. This is a righteousness valid before God, which a man may possess, he may have, through faith. Through faith. Luther said that this righteousness is the first and last need of the sinful individual. What does that mean? It means this for sinners, this is the most important thing that we need. It is the righteousness of God. That's what we need. And it is the last need because once you possess it through faith, you don't really need anything else. Not really. In, in, as far as a level of importance, this is, the, this is the most important thing for you to possess the righteousness of God. Because if you have it, you're good with God. You are good with God. And if you don't have it, you're not. End of story. And so it doesn't really matter what else you have at that point. And if you have it, it doesn't matter what you don't have at that point. You have everything, in a sense. He also said that this righteousness does not originate in ourselves, but it comes from above, from heaven. He means it comes from God. It's the righteousness from God. So this righteousness of God, as I understand it, is simply... A righteousness, and I'm, I'm just saying the same thing in several different ways to, to help you for it to register for, with you. It is simply a righteousness that God accepts and gives to all who believe. Okay? It's a righteousness that God accepts and gives to all who believe. It doesn't come from the believer. It is credited to the believer. And without it, there is no hope for the sinner to be made right with God because the sinner, in order to be right with a holy and righteous God, in order for that to happen, they need more than just forgiveness. Listen, the gospel is not just you've been forgiven of your sins. It is not just that. It is that. But it is way more than that. That still doesn't make you right with God. To be right with God, you need a righteousness that you do not have and I do not have, and we can never, ever gain on our own through our own efforts. We already looked at this passage in Romans 3.10. None is righteous. Isn't that what Paul said? None. No, not one. And then he begins to, to lay that out and just continue to show the depravity of man, how messed up they are, what sinners they are, rebels they are. We're messed up. Everything we touch is messed up. Even our best deeds are tainted by unrighteousness to one degree or another. And so we cannot on our own be made acceptable to God. It's not just enough to be forgiven of your sins, beloved. So one writer says this, and I found this to be very, to me, crystal clear and, and helpful. He says, concerning the righteousness of God, it is revealed in the gospel, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. He says it is a divine achievement. Will you write that down? Will you write that down or write it into your mind? This Righteousness of God is a divine achievement. What does that mean? It's an achievement that is accomplished by God. It's not a human achievement. It's a divine achievement. It is a righteous status which God requires if we're ever going to stand before Him, if we're ever going to be made acceptable to Him. And He achieves this through the atoning sacrifice of the cross which He reveals in the Gospel and which He bestows or gives freely to all who trust in Jesus Christ. This is, this is rich stuff, guys. Rich, rich stuff. So I'm ho I hope you're soaking it in and the Spirit of God is using it to, to make it plain and clear to you. 
Uh, one writer concerning or commentator on Romans 1.17, considered by many to be an authority on Romans. He wrote, he translated Romans 1.17, he paraphrased it this way. For in it, and he's talking about the gospel, in the gospel as it is being preached, a righteous status which is God's gift is being revealed and so offered to men, a righteous status which is altogether by faith. Paul mentions this righteousness of God in chapter 1, verse 17. Okay, We saw it there back in April. But he doesn't mention it again until chapter 3, verse 21. Between these two verses in Romans, Paul has labored to prove, and you know this if you've been with us, he labored to prove that all people, every single one of us, both Jew and Gentile, are truly and desperately need in need of this righteousness of God. Because all people in and of themselves are truly unrighteous. That's what they are. That's what we are in and of ourselves. We are unrighteous and therefore we are worthy and deserving of not salvation, not God's blessings, but God's wrath. God's condemnation. And as a result of this, we are without any hope of ever being justified before God. Now let's read the text. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And we'll read through verse 26. Remember, the righteousness of God. Paul talks about it. He's excited about it. It's revealed in the Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 17. He now spends the remaining time all the way to this point in the Gospel or the text of Romans to make his point that you need this righteousness. That's what he wants you to walk away with. When you're done with that section in between, you should be saying, what hope is there for me, God? And now he gives that hope. He comes back to it. In chapter 3, verse 21, he picks that thought back up again. And he says this, But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This morning in your outlines, you can follow along. You'll see there that we're going to consider, we're going to begin considering this morning five details concerning the righteousness of God, this righteousness that Paul is referring to here. And we're doing that so that we might truly understand this fundamental, critical aspect of the gospel that many people are just, they don't get it or they're unaware of it or they don't really fully understand it. Maybe they kind of understand it, but not fully. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, the righteousness of God. The first two details only. We'll pick up the next three, uh, hopefully next week. So the first detail concerning the righteousness of God is that it has been made known apart from the law. I'm just pulling these 
things right out of the text. Okay, It's right there in your Bible. It has been made known apart from the law. Second, it becomes ours solely, only through faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the two points that I want us to spend a little bit of time on this morning. So first, the righteousness of God has been made known apart from the law. I'm just going to read that section again. Chapter 3, verse 21. Look back at the text. Make sure I'm reading it right. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It has been. Previously in Romans, and you know this if you've been with us, Paul taught that the law of God cannot make anyone right with God. We talked about this last week, the function of the law. It cannot make anyone right with God. People think it can. People use it as if it can, but it cannot. That's what the Word of God says. Rather, it condemns everyone. That's what the law of God does, beloved. It shuts our mouth before God. We saw that just in verses 19 and 20, the section right before this one. It makes every single person accountable to God, directly to Him. And what it makes known, here, you want to know what the law makes known or reveals? Man's sinfulness. That's what it makes known. That's what the law of God reveals. Not their righteousness. It's the exact opposite. For the law is a mirror. It's a mirror that when you look into it, it only reveals the sinfulness of our hearts. The fact that we are truly, every single one of us, unrighteous before God in and of ourselves. That's what the law of God does. For a man or a woman to look into the law of God and somehow walk away from that feeling righteous is insanity. It really is. It's insanity. They obviously didn't see it correctly or they're in denial or they're not being honest with their true condition. Because that's not what it reveals. It shows the ugliness of the human condition. The law doesn't fix us, beloved. It doesn't help us either. The law of God only condemns us. But now, Paul says, the righteousness of God has been manifested. That is the way in which people are truly made right with God or justified before God. That way, that reality has been manifested. It has been made known and it is completely apart from the law. That's what Paul says right there. The way a man or a woman is made right with God, it has been revealed. The way God does it, it has been revealed. And you know what? It has nothing to do with the law. That's what it means, apart from the law. It simply means that the righteousness we need, listen, the righteousness that we need to be acceptable to God does not come from the law. It does not. Or law-keeping. Or observing the law. Or, as Paul puts it frequently, the works of the law. It does not come from that. This righteousness is entirely apart from the law. And it must be, because all the law does is demonstrate how unrighteous we are and condemns us before God. It will never justify us before Him. You understand that? It's important. If you miss this, beloved, then you're missing a crucial piece of the gospel. As Paul has shown, the law does not justify us before God. It functions really. This is the law's function. One of the functions. It shows our desperate need for righteousness. It shows our desperate need for righteousness. 
Because as sinners, we are utterly unable to fully live up to all that the law of God requires. We're unable. Beloved, we're most of the time even unwilling because of our depravity, because of our sin. Paul repeats the same idea, okay? He's going to repeat the same idea just a few verses later in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. You can let your eyes glance down there. There he'll say it's in the context of what he just said in 321. It's all together there. For we hold, this is what we're going to hold on to, this position, that one, that is a person, is justified, made right with God by faith, apart from the works of the law. Apart from them. Same idea. Apart from the law. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He picks up the same exact issue in Galatians 2.16. Wes read it this morning. He's talking about the book of Galatians in the first nine verses. And you see right away, Paul's normally very excited about when he's writing. He's greeting them. He's giving them all kinds of kisses and nice pleasantries in the front end of his letters. Not this letter. This letter, he goes, I'm amazed how quickly you guys are deserting the gospel. He has serious concerns for this church. Because another gospel had come in. A perversion, really. Because there is no other gospel. There's only one. It was a perversion of the true gospel. You know what it was? That you must be justified, not just by faith, but by works of the law. You must come under the law. You must do the things the law requires in order for God to look upon you and go, I now accept you. That's not the gospel of Christ. That is a distorted gospel. And so Paul says in Galatians 2.16, you want to see later on in this book, look at how many times, you know why pastors repeat themselves? Because they have nothing to say? No, that's not why. I have plenty to say. You guys know that all too well. They repeat themselves, I believe, because they, you want to get that truth in there. You want to hammer it home, right? We do it with our kids. We, education systems do this. Because we, we need to hear it more than once. Look at how many times Paul is basically saying the same thing. Galatians 2.16, yet we know, this is what we know to be true, that a person, that is any person, is what? Not, all right, we're going to approach it from the negative side, not justified by works of the law. But how are they justified, Paul? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, how is someone made right with God? How are they declared right with God? Oh, it's through faith. That's the way, that's the means, that's the mechanism. Then he says this, so we, because that's true, have also believed in Christ Jesus. I mean, if that's the way you're made right with God and that is the way, then we too are, being, are believing in Christ Jesus. Why? In order to be justified by what? What's it say? Faith. Does it say works? It does not. In Christ and not, just in case you missed it, and not by works of the law. He's not done. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Did you see how many times he repeated the same thing there? Why do you think he had to do that? Because that's exactly what the Galatian church was buying into because the Judaizers came in and they said, oh no, Christ, that's not, that's not how, you better, you better do this and you better do that and this and that and if you do all that, then God will look down and smile upon you and say, welcome into my kingdom. That is not the case. That is not the gospel. You want to put yourself under the law? Fine, you're condemned. You think I'm making that up? Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. A little later on, he says, 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. You want to be under the law? You're under a curse. Why is that true, Paul? For it is written. Now he's going back to the Old Testament Scriptures. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Who has ever abided by all things written in the book of the law and done them? And of course the answer is no one. It's impossible. It's a burden too great to bear, especially for unrighteous sinners. And that's why he says in verse 11, now it is evident. Come on. It is evident. Everyone knows then that no one is justified before God by the law. No one. And yet, that's what these Judaizers are telling you. It is only, and it has always been, through faith. And now, specifically, we know through the revelation of God in history, faith in Jesus Christ. But now Paul says the righteousness of God. This is what he's saying as we look back now, back to Romans 1.17, and actually Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been made known the way for sinners to be, declared, to be declared righteous in God's sight, to be justified before God. It has been manifested. Okay? That's what manifested means. It has, it has been made clear. We can see now. And this, I believe, is Paul's way of referring to Jesus Christ. And more specifically, to what he accomplished for sinners through his sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross. On the cross. This is why the cross is the centerpiece of Christianity. We look to the cross. We go to the cross. We preach about the cross. The gospel is all about the cross because it was in the cross that the righteousness of God was made known, was manifested. The way for which a man and a woman could be justified before a holy God it is in the cross. Before we move on to the next point, look back at verse 21. He says there, but now, this is just a quick note, but now the righteousness of God, but now, I mean, but now, I mean, that's kind of how you, but now, I know what I just, but listen, this is what we know to be true now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, has nothing to do with that system. That system condemns us. And then he just says this, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Kind of just throws that comment in. This, this phrase, the law and the prophets, I told you this last week, was commonly used in Paul's day to refer to the entire Old Testament. It's just a shorthand way of saying the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. Sometimes they would say the law of the prophets and the Psalms or the law of the prophets and the writings. Those are categories to break up the Old Testament. And so when they just say law and prophets, it's shorthand for saying, like we do today, Old Testament, the Scriptures. Because contained in those Old Testament Scriptures were the law and the prophets. So I believe all Paul is saying is that the righteousness of God that he is speaking about, that has been manifested, is also spoken about or witnessed to, if you will, as he puts it, in the Old Testament. So here we go again. This is not some new idea or concept that Paul came up with on his own. Remember, I told you at the beginning of Romans, you may or may not remember this, I think it's 61 times Paul quotes from the Old Testament Scriptures. 
to support his positions and to support the gospel, showing the Jews especially that this gospel is not some new crazy idea that the Jewish apostle Paul made up because he hates Judaism. That's not the case. He's telling them it comes right out of your scriptures. You guys are missing it. So he does it again. He says, listen, you may think I'm making this up, but this is something that has occurred in fulfillment and in accordance with the very scriptures that you people say you believe. So why don't you place your faith in Jesus? That's really what's going on. You say you believe those scriptures? You say you hold to them? But you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, to place your faith in Him alone to make you right with God. You still think it's under the law. But the law and the prophets bear witness to this very thing. They testify to this very thing that I'm telling you now. And Paul will continue to prove that throughout the book of Romans. So that's the first point, okay? Now the second detail concerning the righteousness of God. It is manifested first apart from the law. Second, it becomes ours solely through faith in Jesus Christ. This is very simple. Very simple, but too often missed. Look back at the text, chapter 3, verse 21. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Through faith in Jesus Christ. The New International Version translates verse 22. And I quote from it sometimes because I just think they do a good job of sometimes communicating uh, in, in a way that is a little more clear. Not always, but many times they do. They interpret verse 22 this way. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, I think that's accurate. I think that's what's being communicated by Paul. Paul also speaks about this righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ in another book that he wrote, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. So one way that we can make sure that we're understanding the Word of God rightly is to find that same reality being expressed in other places in God's Word. Okay? Then you know you're, you're we're on the right track. And if you, if you come to the Bible and you believe something about the Bible that is contradicted, like you say, this passage means this, and then you go to other passages in the Bible that completely contradicts what you said or believe, you need to rethink what you're thinking. Okay? I should be able to find what I believe this passage says. I should be able to find it to be consistent with and not objected to in other places in the Bible. Why is that true? Because the Bible has one author. Wait a minute, I thought a lot of different guys wrote the Bible. They did. But all of it was inspired by, superintended by one author, God, the Holy Spirit. That's why we say this is the Word of God. So if I, if I have the right position here in Romans, I should be able to find the same thing somewhere else, and we do. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. There, the Apostle Paul writes this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you guys talk like that? I just want you to think about it for a second. I'll read it again. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in 
Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but rather that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That depends on faith. Beloved, the Scriptures are really so clear concerning this matter, and yet, matter, and yet so many are confused. The only way, the only way that anyone can be made right with God, the only way we are made right with God is solely through faith. Solely through faith. And specifically, that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Him. I mean, look back at your text at Romans 3.22, right? It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just a general faith in God. Huh? How many people have you talked to in your life? Maybe you were like this at one time. You said, oh yeah, I believe in God. That's nice. What about Jesus Christ? Oh, you know, I don't know about all that. I don't want to get all into the details. Well, here's the problem. The details are, it's faith in not just God in some general way, or the God that you've made up in your own mind that makes you comfortable, but it is Jesus Christ, the Lord that we must have faith in in order to receive this righteous status. This is why we preach Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses or the Jesus of the Mormons. They have a different Jesus. We preach Jesus. That's the first step. Second, we preach the right one. The real Jesus. The real gospel. Why do we keep talking about Jesus? Because it's only through faith in Him that anyone is made right with God. You understand? That's why this is so critical. That's why the cross is center to Christianity. It's on the cross where I begin to talk about who? Jesus! You know, there was three people up there, you know, two on, one on each side, a thief, a murderer, whatever. My focus is not the thief and murderer on the cross. There were lots of people murdered on a cross. My focus is Jesus who was murdered on the cross because He's the only one that did something for the sinner. Something huge, something significant, something we all need to place our faith in. I have no idea where I am now. That was totally off course. All right. Now, there are many religions of this world, right? In this world. They would say otherwise to what I just said. They would say, Jeremy, you got it wrong. There are many ways to be made right with God. And what that normally means is they give you a list of stuff that you must do, that you must accomplish. This is what you must do in order to be made right with God. And uh, it, does have, it has nothing to do with faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of religion. In fact, that's going to be true of every religion outside of Christianity. That's going to be their message to you. In one way or another, whatever their God is, they could say it's the God of the Bible. They could say it's something else. I don't know. It could be gods. But in order to get right with these gods, you've got to do something or God sacrifice or give something or, I don't know, walk on your knees until they're bloody for miles or, you know, present your offering, something like this. That's how you're made right with God. And you've got to do it all the time. And you're never sure if it's enough, but you're always just hoping I'm hoping I did enough to be made right with God. But, beloved, that contradicts everything that God's Word says. It contradicts the true gospel. 
It is those in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ, okay? That's what the Bible says, who God freely imputes to or credits to or attributes to the very righteousness of God, a righteousness that justifies us before Him, that makes us as sinners, get this, entirely acceptable to a holy and righteous God. That, beloved, that is the gospel. It is righteousness through faith. That's what it is. It is righteousness through faith. It is a righteous status through faith. It is being justified through faith. What? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Just faith in in something? No, faith in Him and what He did. What He accomplished when He hung on that cross. What happened there? It's faith in all those things. And while that may be hard for some people to accept, because they say, well, wait a minute. Don't I have something to attribute to this? I mean, I, I want to attribute something to my salvation. You can't. And until you get that, you'll never really be trusting fully in Christ. You'll always be saying, well, I'll take what He gave, but I need to give my part too. That is not the Gospel. That is not the gospel. That is a distortion of the gospel. In fact, beloved, like I said, what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions of the world is this truth, is this reality of the gospel. The fact that we are made righteous, declared righteous, given a righteous status, the very righteousness that we need that is valid to God, acceptable to God, we're given it as a gift, as a free gift, Simply by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's radical, beloved. That's radical, divine accomplishment. And the world says the very opposite. In one way or another, they say it's not divine accomplishment. It's human achievement. Uh, One writer says, John MacArthur, commenting on this passage, you're familiar with him, we sell his study Bibles. They're a very good resource if you don't have a good study Bible here. But there are only two religions in the whole world. You know how people always say, there are so many religions in the world. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said that. Well, on one level that's true. There are many different types of religions. But in reality, you could categorize them into just two. The religion of human achievement. And that encompasses every human religion. They're all the same. Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism. Just go down the list. They're all the same. It's human achievement. And then there's a religion of divine accomplishment. There's only one represented in that category. It's Christianity. It's Christianity. God did it all. He did it all. And if He didn't do it all, we'd be without any hope because of our human condition. Now, I want to say a quick word about faith. When thinking about the word, it might be better to think of the word trust. Okay, when you hear that word faith, you could say believe. I think trust would be just a better way to think about that. Genuine Christians, those justified with God, those who have a righteous standing before Him, they don't simply just believe the facts concerning Christ. Okay? They don't just say, hey, I've heard the facts and I believe those to be true. Rather, they have put their trust in those facts. They have put their trust in Him and they are trusting in Him. And Him alone 
alone with nothing else attached for their salvation. Trust. Faith. Some people know about Jesus Christ and they may even believe that what they know is true, yet they have failed to put their entire trust in that truth because they may still be trusting in something else like their own ability to make themselves right with God or to justify themselves before God. Do you understand what I'm saying? They haven't yet really trusted in, placed their faith in the reality of the cross and what Christ accomplished and this righteousness of God that is manifested in these things. They haven't really done that. Now I want to close out our time today with an important quote. I thought it's important. I found it to be. Maybe it'll challenge you. I hope it will. Make you think. Uh, It's from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've quoted from him several times. Just a fantastic preacher of the 20th century. Gone home to be with the Lord. He wrote quite a bit on the book of Romans. Concerning this text and faith. Because this is important, right? I just said that Point two was that it's through faith that we are made righteous before God, that we are declared righteous before God, that we are justified, that we are accepted. It it becomes ours, this righteousness of God, solely through faith in Jesus Christ. So now he spends a little time talking about faith, because I think we're still a little bit confused about this idea of faith. So it's a long quote. I'm going to read it slowly. Just listen. We can put it in this way. The man who has faith, or woman, is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look at what he hopes to be as a result of his own efforts. Rather, he looks entirely, completely, fully to the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. And he rests on that alone. He rests on it. He lays himself down on that and he finds peace. He can sleep. He finds security. The writer goes on to say, He has ceased to say, stop saying. He doesn't do this anymore. Oh, yes, I have committed terrible sins, but I have done this and I have done that. You understand? You you get it? But I know I've been a bad, bad boy. Okay? But look at what I've done now with my life. Look how I've made myself so much better for God. He doesn't say that, the man of faith who has faith in Jesus Christ alone. He doesn't say that, or at least he shouldn't. He stops saying that, the writer says. If he goes on saying that, he has not got faith. Not the kind of faith that the Bible is talking about. When Paul says it's faith in Jesus Christ, he does not mean partial faith in Him and some faith in yourself. He is thinking entire complete confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for one's salvation. Because it is through Christ alone that a man or a woman who is unrighteous, a sinner, condemned before God, it is through faith alone in Christ alone that a man or a woman like that is made right with God. And then he says this, listen, or if he says, ah, 
there is still terrible blackness within me. And I find sin within myself still. How can I say that I am saved? Look at what he says. He is still wrong. He must not speak like that because he is still looking at himself. See, some of you go, uh, I, what are you saying, Jeremy? Are you saying you know, we can just sin all we want and it doesn't matter? I can be all messed up and I can still say I'm saved? Well, Paul will address that, won't he, in Romans 6? He'll address that. When he says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So should we go on sinning then? Is that what we're supposed to do? God forbid, he says. He addresses that. But right here, right now in Romans 3, he's saying, you want to know how you're made right with God? It's through faith in Christ alone, period. And so that's what this writer is addressing here. Even in our messed upness after we're saved, we might begin to start to focus on ourselves and go, man, I'm, I am messed up. And then as you read the Word of God, you realize how much more you're messed up than maybe you realized before. Look at all these things. I don't, I'm messed up here. I'm messed up there. You begin to look inward and then you go, oh, am I really saved? You're looking to the wrong place. You've taken your eyes off the cross, your eyes off Jesus Christ, your eyes off the righteousness of God that is yours by faith. And you begin to look at yourself and dear friends, you look long enough. Yeah, you'll definitely question everything then because you're looking to yourself. Faith speaks in an entirely different manner and it makes a man say, yes, I have sinned grievously. I have lived a life of sin. I was a blasphemer. I was injurious. I was vile. There is scarcely a sin I have not committed. And I am aware of sin within me still. You, you know, this is my experience as a Christian. The longer it, sanctification is the process of, you know, ridding yourself of sin, moving more towards living a life of uh, spirit produced righteousness, you know, producing that in your life. But the reality is you more areas of your life are opened up through the spirit, through the word of God. And you realize, man, I didn't even know about this area where I'm also a sinner, where I also unrighteousness dwells and lives. So the reality is, you know, I, I don't see a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time getting to the end and going, man, I'm not so bad. No, they know very well how bad they are inside that, that depravity that lives within them. They may have had success in fighting against it through the Spirit of God, but they know the truth about themselves. They don't stand up and go, yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm not, I'm not too bad after all. That's, again, looking at themselves. Yes, I've sinned grievously. There is scarcely a sin I have not committed. I am aware of sin within me still. Yet I know that I am a child of God because, why? I am not resting on any righteousness of my own. I'm not trusting in that. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ and God has put that to my account. Do you understand that? Your account was empty. Okay? Not just empty concerning righteousness. Our accounts as human beings is empty. It's negative. We owe. We sinned against God. But through faith in Jesus Christ, God credits to us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ and God has put that to my account. He does not look to himself at all, this man of faith. He looks only, utterly, exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, beloved. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Christianity.
I wonder this morning, have you been made right with God? Have you? If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in the way that I just explained, if you're not fully and completely trusting in Him and Him alone to be your righteous status before God, then you're not good with God. You're not. I don't care what kind of life you've lived up to this point. I don't care if you're a nice person. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not good with God because you lack the very righteousness that you need, that very righteous status that you need in order to be accepted by God. So I pray, I, I plead that you would do that very thing, even now. That you would realize the reality of what took place in the cross, that Jesus there, that perfect one, that righteous one, went to that cross willfully, dying for sinners, taking upon Himself the wrath that they were due, the condemnation from His Father that they were due. He took it. That means substitute. He was the substitute for the sinner. You believe that, and you also believe not just that, that He took all the wrath, but you know that righteous, perfect life that Christ lived? God, through faith, your faith in Christ, credits, applies to that wretched sinner the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. He applies it to their account. Forgiven, cleansed, righteous in my sight. Welcome. Come in. You're acceptable to me. That's the gospel. That's what you must believe. And if you'll do that, you will be made right with God. And if you're made right with God, beloved, you remain right with God. And you've got to keep remembering as Christians that I don't, I don't get right with God through faith and then keep my rightness with God through my works through a law or the law. That's not how it works. My righteous status with God continues through my faith in Jesus Christ. It continues. This is why the gospel must be preached over and over again to ourselves. So that we don't look to ourselves. We don't look somewhere else. But we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate communion this morning together and Thomas is going to come up and lead us.